Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing pretty well. Good. Yeah. Uh, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. Thank you. I used your polls feature the other day. Oh, did you? Yes. What'd you think? Uh, it was great. Oh, cool. It was awesome. quite slick. Not surprising. Yeah, just uh, I've been sending out invites to everyone who hopped on my little early access list for that and uh, getting some good feedback, made some tweaks. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the newer the newer updates where we kind of group the slots by day and give you a sense of like, this is two days out, this is one week out, just to kind of help orient you around around when the slots are. And I think, it's, it's, yeah, it's starting to really uh, feel pretty good, like... As I was like, I think I was as I was hovering the dates, it flipped over to it in my and with my calendar right there, which was just lovely. Yeah, 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 that worked real nice. Thank you. Yeah, it's those little details that, um, and honestly, I've, I've felt this with this project, especially coming down to the the very end of it. Like the first eighty percent went pretty fast, and then the last twenty, I've definitely felt like it's it's been a slog. But like, I'm super excited to get to the finish line. But then. I don't know what that is. Something, something psychological where it just kind of uh, feels like you're swimming through molasses a little bit, trying to get like all the little polish bits done that, that you want to get done. Yeah, definitely those types of things are fun. Like getting those little interactive bits in, hovering over a slot, it shows you, you know, right on the calendar view. Like it's pretty magical <laughs> to, to wire that up and see it work. I mean, I'm used to using like Doodle or something for this. And it's a bunch of like, look at the thing, look at my calendar, figure out where the date is, check the thing, come back. Uh, this was it was much slicker. That's what I want to hear. So, yeah, so good, good, good job. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we had some uh, people visiting. Yeah, some yeah. some new teammates in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice. We had three additional tuplers in town, plus the founders, plus Dorothy, who's local. And yeah, it was nice. We did we did some stuff. We went bowling, uh, which is great. We went like New England bowling, um, candlepin bowling. And, what is uh, what's New England bowling? How is that different than regular bowling? So it's called candle pin bowling, and it's um, the pins are like more like just straight cylinders. The balls are much smaller. The balls are like a third the size of a bowling ball and lighter. They have no finger holes. You just hold them in your hand and chuck them. Yep, and you get three shots instead of uh, instead of two. So we get to expose people to that. I don't know how this became a New England thing. I'm not really sure what the how it happened, but. I've only ever seen this kind of bowling around here. And there's an old alley right next to our office. So we played there. We did some mandatory team building exercises. <laughs> to trust trust falls or something. <laughs> um, yeah, we did some, uh, yeah, a bunch of, bunch of meals together. And it was just, and did some brainstorming, some working together. It was, it was really nice. I'm a fan. I enjoy the in-person retreats a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now, was it the entire? It wasn't the entire company, right? This was just subset, just in, just, just the new uh, new folks. It was two of the three new folks. Unfortunately, one person uh, got COVID right before it and could not join us. Yeah, uh, which is a bummer. <laughs> That's the he's era fine. we live in. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's yeah. fine, but couldn't get on a plane. Yeah, um, and so yeah, so it was close to it was close to everyone else, mm-hmm. uh, but okay. not quite. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, one of the things we did during that is we talked about the first kind of marketing experiment that we're running with with Aaron, our new marketer. Mm-hmm. I think you maybe saw that thread, perhaps. Yeah, so you're taking a big old loan from Stripe, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, going to do some, do some fun stuff with it. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so there's this program called Stripe Capital and they'll loan you money. And we get an email every so often as our revenue goes up, they keep offering us more money. I hopped on Twitter one time and was like, how should we, how, how could I spend this money? What are some crazy ideas? And people threw out some interesting stuff. And I just kind of kept this in my head where I was like, I don't know, maybe we should just try this. And it's like, yeah, we do have cash on hand. We could spend on things, but there's something interesting about like trying to spend that money and see if the ROI on that beats the cost of it. Because if it does, well, now we kind of have a close to infinite marketing budget. Plus, I think it's interesting. I think the story is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it feels like you're taking a taking a decent swing here with that. Okay. It's like, does Aaron have ideas about how he's going to track ROI so you can suss out like, was it actually worth it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like an impossible question. It's kind like, of impossible, right? Yeah. So I think the reality is we'll never really know exactly. But we do have... So I think the kind of best thing we're going to be able to do is we'll, we'll try to track it as best we can without being annoying about it. And we also have a fair amount of like historical data. Like we tend to get this much traffic. We tend to get this many trials. Perturbances above that are probably a result of the marketing efforts we're doing. We intend to space out the experiments. So for the people who haven't seen, we, we, we're planning at least right now, we have three ideas in different categories to try for this thing. Um, and so we probably, I think we're going to try to do like one every other month or something like that. Every month, some, 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 some sort of reasonable spaced out thing so we can kind of hopefully see what the results are of each of them. But yeah, it's going to be for sure uh, imperfect. Yeah. Do you want to talk through what some of those categories are? Okay. So I'm going to be cagey about this for a little bit just because I don't want to, you know, spoil the reveal. But the three categories are a form of giving back to the developer community. And in particular, the, uh, the open source community, I could say. Also, a sort of more traditional advertising, kind of like paid advertising blitz across a few channels. And then also a developer physical product. Those are the planned things right now. So we have a specific idea for each of them. We're working on the first one right now. I'll probably talk about it soon. We sort of settled on this idea of like, it'd be nice to have like a wide variety of tests. Because so, so I, I view this as kind of like channel exploration. It's a decent sized bet to do channel exploration with. The hope is like one of these just like really, really works. And, and it feels like the clear winner. And it's like, okay, well, now we have, well, let's go double down on that thing. So we, we intentionally try to t- have a kind of a wide variety of stuff we're doing. And I honestly, I could see us possibly adding a fourth in there. That I, uh, well, but we'll, we'll see. It feels like it's the paid ads will be the probably the easiest to track. So it'll be interesting to see how the other ones, you know, shape up or like if there is a meaningful like near term, near term movement of the metrics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this conflict here, which is, I think I am sort of like philosophically interested in like brand marketing more than performance marketing. So like it's cool to see like, OK, I can kind of closely calculate ROI on on this particular effort, like with paid ads. But I also am very amenable to we did this thing and a lot of people saw it and thought it was cool. And we don't know how many people became customers, but that's kind of okay. Like I I have this sort of faith, I guess, that over the long run, if we do a decent job at brand marketing, the like we'll get more trials. Yeah. I think even, I mean, even things like paid ads, they have like, in my experience, they, they seem to have more, sometimes they have more of an impact than just the the like actual conversions you're able to track through analytics. And I don't know if that's just because like, 
I mean, part of it's probably just imperfections in analytics tracking in general, but also like, I suppose if someone sees an ad and then like makes a mental note about the name they just saw and then sometime later, like directly visits, that's all lost attribution, you know? It's actually, it's interesting. We were, we've been running Google ads for months now and we just had a conversation about like, you know, is it worth it? Kind of feels like our costs were creeping up a bit and I was getting a, a increasingly skeptical that like, that the payback time was, was such that we wanted to keep doing it. So we have some ideas on, on thing, alternatives we might try, but in the meantime, I'm like, I just decided to pause, pause our campaigns a week ago and it's going to be interesting. I'm going to I'm going to specifically be looking at traffic, trial, conversions, all those metrics between like the the period when we were running them versus now to see like if it looks like a bigger difference than than maybe even what the, you know, attributable traffic looked like before. And I suspect it will be. <laughs> it's so tricky. Yeah, I wish it were much clearer <laughs> on those. And like it's a shame that it's not obvious. Like it'd be great if you could just be like, "Oh, I I, I found this money machine." Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, I had an opportunity to to talk to um, someone else in in kind of a related industry that has like a viral viral loop type product, you know, with the with the powered by thing as like a main driver, and just kind of comparing notes. Like this person also expressed, like, yeah, we know we know intuitively that that has been probably our our predominant way that you know the product spreads and people become aware of it, and also like they've really not been able to to reliably calculate the viral coefficient. Like they can you can estimate it if you assume that like most of your growth is coming by way of this, but like actually attributing that is very very difficult. And so they sort of, it was sort of comforting to hear someone, you know, much larger than me with with a similar like kind of growth dynamic like that just just kind of throw their hands up a little bit and say like, "Yeah, it's it's really tough to track. We just kind of we just have we just know that that it's working, but it's it's hard to put a number on it exactly. So. Yeah, I think that's why I think that's part of what draws me more towards brand marketing type activities, where the success to me is more like just visits, or like honestly like retweets. If buzz is happening, I'm pretty convinced that's good for us in a probably substantial way over the long run. That's a fairly easy thing to like look at, um, and because it gets less reliable to know beyond that, it's sort of like somewhat less interesting to me, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Like trying to measure buzz is, it's an interesting like angle to look at it from. And not, I guess it's not like a concrete measurement, but it's just like, you know, yeah, like something like retweets is a, is a decent proxy perhaps on, on that specific channel, for example. Um, yeah. Yeah. Traffic to the page that talks about this, this funny thing we're doing or this remarkable thing we're doing. And that's, that's kind of the goal with, like, honestly, this whole project, part of the reason we're doing it the way we're doing it is to make it interesting. Like Aaron shared this thread. It got a lot of people talking about it. Brian and Jordan are talking about it on Bootstrap Web this week. <laughs> Us being like, hey, we're doing this for marketing right. has become marketing. Yeah, it's meta meta marketing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's you know there's there's enough like bootstrappery people or like founders that are trying to start things or sorry uh, developers that are trying to start things or whatnot in our audience that it feels like yeah this I, even just the idea like the fact that we're doing this thing becomes marketing. So that's the angle like trying to do like this this is the kind of marketing I'm most interested in is like is the kind that is interesting. Like there's there's lots of kinds of marketing, 
there's lots of marketing efforts you can do and a bunch of them probably work but i'm just sort of most interested in ones where people go oh that's interesting like like yeah noteworthy for some reason yeah yeah no i i and i think it's probably you know maybe the optimal answer is like a, a both like you have you have sort of the fundamentals that you pay some attention to like you know are are you are you somewhat uh set up for success on seo front for example but maybe you know maybe that's not your sole focus but you know you want to have things dialed into a certain degree on that front but then also like spend an ample amount on kind of the more more brand brandy interesting uh, make a splash you know be unique kind of kind of activities and aaron has been filling in the gaps with those kind of more blocking and tackling marketing activities where it's you know it's not flashy or interesting exactly but hey look we have some 404s that people are coming to our site looking for pages or hey we should re we should throw this under this url instead of this one because it's just better yeah yeah so we're doing little bits of that here and there hmm. so think about it for me i guess I still think i'm focusing on like trying to make the product be something the, the interesting noteworthy thing like i'm hoping meeting polls has some of that impact you know as we um as we launch it call it like it is a it is a free feature so so maybe it'll kind of serve more more in that area of something that can just spread because it's it's free to use and it's and it's pretty nice looking and it's and it's useful um so hoping it hope check, check some of those boxes for us too you're like a powerfully good developer slash designer so like engineering as marketing i think makes a lot of sense for you in particular yeah yep I mean, it can be it can be an expensive form of marketing, right? Like I've I think I've seen some um, some folks recently expressing some regret in like investing a lot of time into engineering as marketing efforts that didn't pan out. And then it's like, you know, developer time is expensive, but it does feel like a, an area of expertise that, you know, I like I don't want to fall into the trap of like always assuming product is the answer, but also kind of feels like a, a good area for us to lean into pretty hard. This is probably the programmer slash, I don't know, product person in me. But I, I, I think of marketing as an accelerant on the product fire. And like, yeah, I can, I, I'm sure it can help. And if you were amazing at marketing, you could probably take a product that was okay and have more business success than someone that was not great at marketing, almost certainly. If there's an 80-20 to me, it's, a, it's the product being awesome. And, you know, the marketing gets it like, and that's how I'm thinking about this is like marketing is trying to get more people to kind of be aware of us. And, you know, hopefully they, they check us out and try the product. And then the product has to be great. Otherwise, there, there ends the thing. You know, it's if they give it a shot and they're like, well, that sucked. It's like, well, OK, well, that wasn't mm -hmm. worth anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I bet I suspect it's also like proportional to the to the to how competitive the environment is too. like the the level of importance of product quality, I feel like like I get the sense for us, there's, you know, there's like literally a thousand scheduling tools on the market. So there's like lots of choices. Um, so then the question becomes, you know, why, why does someone, why does, you know, someone who's just like a basic user of scheduling features that doesn't necessarily care that much about the major differentiating things. Cause that's where, you know, we need like thousands of people who are just sort of like, you know, part of the just the masses basic you just need the basics um using the product and then of course we also want to be you know pushing into more power user type features and things that really like help people level up their scheduling but that's just you know that's always going to be a just a smaller percentage of the market than just the broader user base and so it's like for those people in that in that bigger cohort like why why pick savvy cal over something else and i feel like we're 
a big reason is like it because the UX is smoother, both for the administrative side and the, uh, you know, and the scheduler side. And that seems like an area that we need to be especially competitive on just, just given our go-to-market strategy, I guess. Hmm. Intuitively to me, it seems, it feels a bit weird to care a lot about the basic users or the people that don't have like, yeah, have, have advanced scheduling needs or don't care about the differentiators that you have. Why is that? Um, I guess I'm picturing like sort of an unsophisticated user of scheduling tools and they would be satisfied with a lot of things. And so that's, that to me is not your ideal customer. Your ideal customer is someone that really appreciates UX quality and um, polish um, or some of the advanced features that you have. Yeah, I think that people tend to get increasingly sophisticated with their setup. So like, I do think it's important for people who don't, aren't yet at that level of sophistication to get started with Savvy Cal, because I think that's just kind of how the funnel works. And if I'm not, if I'm not being like particularly compelling or standing out at the earlier stage, then they will eventually grow into, you know, a different tool potentially. And so I want to catch them earlier. I think that's why, you know, that's kind of why I think of both cohorts. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. I had a nice shaping call with Wadden the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I think we've probably talked about this on here. People have been asking us and we've been wanting to provide a different way to get into tuple sessions that is compatible with things like SavvyCal. Like right now, you can't throw a tuple link on a SavvyCal invite or a SavvyCal event. There's an, it's just like location. Uh, I'll call you on tuple at this time. And it creates this thing where it's like, oh, I'll, and then I'll go like message you and be like, hey, can I call you now? And it, it has, we, because we have like this like purely synchronous, both sides need to be ready. There is no URL addressable space to go to. And so we've, we've been wanting to solve this a, a for calendar invite, calendar things, and then B for other integrations like Slack commands, for example. Because we heard from a number of our customers like, oh, like we use slash Zoom all the time. Like we'll be talking about a thing in Slack and say, oh, you want to hop on a call? And they go slash Zoom and then both people click the link and then they're in a thing. Um, and we don't have an equivalent of that. And so I've been wanting to add a thing. So we've been calling this idea rooms. So it's not a call, it's a room. And like, 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 like a room, you can, I can go in it and then you can go in it later. And then there we are. Funnily enough, I actually kind of feel like calling it rooms for all this time sort of painted me into this like design corner where I was picturing like there are tuple calls and there are tuple rooms and that is a new first class concept in the app that now I'm going to have to figure out how to get in there. And I started to like really design this in earnest this week. And I spent like basically almost all of Monday on this and I just was like getting more and more stressed. And I was like, I don't know how to do this without making the app worse. And it was like, it was like I was creating a new major domain object that was like a lot like a call. Only it wasn't a call or was it? And it was just like this, like, like, in my mind, like, does a room inherit from a call? Does a call inherit from a room? Like, what distinguishes one from the other? 
I'm very wary of adding things to tuple that make it step backwards in its simplicity. Because that's, that's like a thing that people talk about a lot. They appreciate that it's like two clicks. I'm on a call with somebody. That's great. Uh, it feels lightweight. It does one thing well. People say this all the time. And it's really... I think it's just so easy. In fact, I would say the default is for every feature you add to your product to make it you know, pretty measurably worse. Like if you don't really think about it, I think it's just like that's that's going to happen. And this one felt like prime foot shooting <laughs> material, where it was like yep. it's just like now there's this other concept and we have to teach you about it. And like, do we have like and like and like how does this work? Like, do do users have a room? Do teams have rooms? Is there a CRUD interface in the Tuple app for all of the teams' rooms? Yep. <laughs> um, do rooms expire? Can you create? It's just. It was just like, I just kept. I kept adding questions to my like design doc, and I was just adding more questions than I was adding answers. And I was just like, this is feeling like a nightmare. And so, I <laughs> I texted you, <laughs> mm-hmm. and was like, help me, please. <laughs> and you were like, I can't. I'm doing some stuff. And I was like, okay. And so I <laughs> I went. I texted Adam. Not that anyone is my first choice or second choice there. You're both, you know, just you're, bro- you're both my first choice. And he was down. So we hopped on a call for about an hour. And I think we, I think we solved it, actually. I think, I think we cracked it. So I, I haven't fully, like, noodled this out. But I think the core insight um, was uncovered, which is if, if I wrote you an email and the subject was, Tuple now has rooms. I think there's a bunch of things that will pop in your head that may or may not be what we built. Like there's there's a lot of different ways you could take rooms and like how they work. And I feel like you might make some guesses and like there's all this complexity kind of hidden underneath that. Hey, there's a new first class like object. The thing that, that basically Adam came up with that I think is clear is... The subject line, uh, all tuple calls now have URLs. So instead of adding this new concept, we make it so that tuple calls are URL addressable. So if you and I are on a call, we can grab a link to it. And with someone with that link can join the call. And we also add one more wrinkle, which is that a person can join a call alone. That's the key piece. So if I have a link, I can click it. And now I'm on a call uh, by myself. And a call by yourself is basically a room, but it's still just a call. <laughs> right. So yeah. like there, effectively, there's always a... Like if you were throwing one of these links onto a calendar invite, you're effectively saying, I'm going to be the host of this call. Like, like it's, yeah. well, people can, can come into the, the address for the call that I have spun up or that I will be. And exactly. And I think actually, and this, this remains to be sort of figured out, I'm not even sure there needs to be an owner of a call. Like, I think if we, I think you could just say every call has a UUID and anyone with that UUID can get to the call. I see. So you could just theoretically click a button in the tuple UI and say, like, just give me a, just give me a call ID. Yep. And the call ID could be for later. It could be, and like, I could reuse it. I could throw it away. I could share it with everyone. I could keep it secret. It's kind of nice. And I, I think, we can even use like a UUID scheme such that it doesn't require coordination with the client and the server. So it's just like, yeah, here's just a UUID. 
It's the first know, one to say I'm joining a call with this UUID, like yeah, yeah then that spins it up, created it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It, it makes call like call UIDs kind of uh, extremely cheap. Yeah, I mean, shoot, if I don't if from Savvy Cal, like if I don't even have to hit an API to get an ID yeah. back, I can just generate a UUID. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like here's the here's the tuple UUID scheme. Feel free to generate your own, or like I mean, I'm sure we would make you an endpoint if you wanted to be you know, if you wanted it and so that's not not have that like domain logic in your app which i would understand but yeah why not just let somebody spin them up it's kind of nice right it's good it's good stuff yeah that was like relief washed over me like an awesome wave <laughs> kind of moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that adam Wathen, he's pretty good at this yeah he's uh He's done some. He's proven his his value here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's so good. so yeah, all of this is subject to change. We're, uh, this, the rubber has not met the road yet, but I at least feel like this direction has a lot of promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, for example, this this call that we do to record AOP, we're using Tuple. Um, we could just theoretically have like a persistent just Tuple URL that we both hit. And it's like, because oftentimes we're like kind of slightly out of sync on timing. So like it could just make sense for us to just have a URL. We go there and when we're both there, then we begin, you know, as opposed to having to explicitly call. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's also some interesting things that we can do given that when you, so when you hit the Tuple web app, we know who you are. And we also know via our signaling service if you are online like if you have the tuple app open or not and so we know that for each person so we can sort of there's we can do some interesting things on the actual web page that you hit when you click the tuple link so we can of course like fire a tuple url handler and put you in the in the call which is probably what we do if you're online but if you're not there's other things we can do like hey here's like how to launch the app or like maybe you don't have the app Maybe we show you a download link in that case. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, or we say, like, we don't know who you are. You're not authenticated. Like, do you, need to, do you need an account? Are you trying to join Ben's team before this call? Are you trying to get the app? What operating system do you want the app with? That kind of thing. And then maybe there's even, like, a thing that you and I do sometimes is we text back and forth before the call. I'm like, oh, I need two minutes. And maybe the web page that you hit that fires up the thing, maybe you put that, inf- that information there. Mm, like a little a little message feed there. There's a little message feed there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ooh, so I like that. And like maybe that, like, you know, maybe you click a button, which is like, you know, be there in five minutes. And then when we see you come online, we move that and say, Derek is online. Click here to join him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, it's good. Yeah, so I think there's some cool some cool things to be done there. So how soon are you going to get this done? <laughs> uh, I don't know how hard this is <laughs> from an engineering perspective. Yeah, We're going to start it next month. It's the end of April now. We're starting this in May. Um, we're trying, we, we, we're tr- increasingly trying to get towards the uh, you know, shape up eight week cycle thing. And the next cycle begins May 1st. So, or, you know, first, first week of May, May 3rd or something. Um, so I'm basically hoping to ship this as part of the next cycle. Uh, and I think I think that is feasible. Mm-hmm. When you say you're trying to get to that that cadence, like what is um, what is your kind of cycles looked like to this point? More like monthly. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. I was talking to another founder about this, but like, so I've been sort of loosely following basic shape up cycle principles. <laughs> like, like the main thing I'm focusing on is very like Adam inspired, like trying to figure out what's the, what are the big rocks? What are the ambitious, you know, projects that we definitely want to move forward in this cycle? And then everything else sort of just fills in around that. But I have noticed like the last couple cycles have basically just been like, I kind of know what's most important coming up. And if we don't get it done in this cycle, it just rolls over to the next. And I don't know if I'm totally doing this wrong, but like, and, and I haven't been cooling down. Like, I don't feel like there's, I don't know. I feel like it's just like, no, just let's just keep moving. I don't want to like halt progress on things and like stop and cool down. Like let's, let's keep it warm. Let's keep going. So I don't know. I don't think I'm fully, um, probably hasn't fully, um, grasped it or maybe it's like still too much process for you know two developers just wanting to move really fast but um well i, that's I been think my experience so i far. do think there's power in the deadline yeah yeah like if you just keep saying oh we'll roll it over into the next one because i want it to have these 10 things too you're not doing the like you know cutting of scope to hit the hit the time box. right right and th- this is something i was stressing with hugo our designer uh, the other day like he kind of asked me he's like why do you like deadlines which is kind of a nice, like a good question. And I was like, basically because it forces us to make compromises. And all things being equal, shipping a thing today is better than shipping it tomorrow. Or, and, and like, actually, that's, that's probably true even if all things are not equal. <laughs> I think that's, it's like sp- speed of iteration is just is really powerful. It's really easy to just keep polishing um, or keep letting this, the scope creep bigger and bigger without that kind of like constraint. That makes sense. I think I've I've developed a, a bit of discipline for myself, like on relentlessly cutting scope. I feel like and trying to like get things shipped incrementally and fast. Where I guess I just haven't historically looked that much toward a deadline, and instead had a very like intrinsic motivation to like ship fast. Um, but I think yeah, it'll probably become increasingly important, especially as you know as the team grows and like we all have to feel that driving that, that that same driving motivation to ship fast and like a deadline is kind of a shared constraint that we can all that's staring all of us down i guess at the same time right totally so i, yeah. I think there's that motivation piece but also there's like because you are the founder and like the head of the product you know when a thing is ready or you know what you can you know cut scope on or add add scope to and like you're you're able to you have all the context and the authority so you can just make those decisions if you've added another developer to your team, that person might not know, like, does this need to work in every language on earth or something like that? It's, it's harder for that person, I think, to like make those calls. But if you say, this is going out on March 30th and they say, okay, well, we can't do like, which of these, th- these two things do you want me to do? Because that's all I have time for. You do not have a shipping speed problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, don't feel like you need to solve that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a different position, like being the founder, like I can just, I can decide when to adhere to the rules, when to break the rules. And it's, I think it's harder for even just, you know, a a non-founder team member to feel that same level of discretion. So I think just having like additional kind of guardrails is just a helpful, helpful thing. Like a deadline, for example. Um, So even at a small scale, I think, yeah, it's probably a tool that I can, I can figure out how to utilize more just to make sure that like we're we're staying on track. Um, mm-hmm. I think it brings some clarity. Mm-hmm. 
where if, if I say, hey, we want to add URLs to tuple calls, everyone goes, okay. And I like write up a description of that. And they go, okay. And it could be that like they're picturing a three-month version of that project and, I'm, and I want to spend one month on it. And so getting clear about like, here's how much time we want to invest in this. Use that to guide your approach to this thing, I think is, is, is very clarifying. We're doing a refresh of our backend website. The design, I believe, is like pretty close to implemented. And then Hugo was saying like, oh, like, and also like, we want to do some refactoring too, so we can pull all these things into components and reuse them. And I was like, that's cool. I don't care about that. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want this to ship at the end of the month. And then if you're going to go and do some additional refactoring to make the future work good, like fine, that's too, like, you know, let's slot that in there um, as some cleanup or something. Uh, I know that over the long term, that sort of stuff matters, but like, I'm trying to like, I want a one month backend refresh project to ship. Because yeah, developers gonna develop, and if you let them refactor, they will refactor for months. Like that's just <laughs> developers cannot. I mean, yeah. So do that too. I know that's important. I'm not so far from the code that I'm gonna be like, oh no, no cleaning up of tech debt. But also, if you <laughs> if you give someone uh, a thing, they're gonna refactor the crap out of it, and maybe not make the same decisions you would make as a product owner. Yep, I, it's been fun to see like Taylor has gradually been as he gets more and more acquainted with the code base is like hey i think there's like we can tighten up our typescript type system to help catch smaller bugs that might creep in and like so we recognize if we enable this new flag like you know 35 files need to be touched and like tweaked in order to to pass the um the new like stricter configuration those types of things are always like in my mind they're valuable but also like you know we can't can't like stop the earth and do too many projects like that that are just sort of like uh, you know incrementally improving code quality or whatever like we want to thread those in naturally so that yes we're making progress on those but also not like stopping the the shipping cadence and it's fun to to have those things raised and then like it's an exercise in figuring out all right what's when is the right timing to fit in those types of like housekeeping tasks do you guys set aside time in a cycle for housekeeping or tech debt pay down or no, is it just sort of ad hoc? It kind of has been a- ad hoc. I think it's sometimes it's nice to pause the main thing you're doing and do some other little cleanup-y things. We're getting more parallelized as a team. Um, so like we have one of our engineers who's like mostly focused on like quality issues reported by customers, for example. So it's like, okay, there's a like this this like room's effort is gonna be like a main focus of at least one person, probably a few people. Like if someone says, ah, Tubal is broken with Japanese keyboards, uh, we don't want to just ignore that. Part of it is like we're, we're paralyzing across the team. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. It's super nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, when, that's when you feel your small size the most, for me, like it's the most intense in those moments when like, oh, suddenly like there's a couple of bug reports that come through and maybe one other thing. Suddenly you feel like oh, I've been toppled off my shipping flow and I wish I had just another person on the team that I could hand that over to to like, hey, check this out while we're going to keep moving forward on this other thing. Um, that's when you reach those things where you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah, we're, we're sort of single threaded. Um, yeah. You know, right now. And uh, I was reading the High Growth Handbook, which is a Stripe Press publication, um, which is funny because it's, it's the, the, t- the like, subtitle is like 
how to move from a team of 10 to a thousand or something. <laughs> okay. And so like I'm reading this whole thing, you know, with kind of one eyebrow half raised. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, it's certainly for companies on a different path than ours, but I, that doesn't mean that like all the wisdom is bad in there. And there's an interview with Mark Andreessen in there. He has a section where he says, I'm always telling entrepreneurs like founders to charge more, charge more, charge more, like raise prices. And the reason is people tend to think that low prices equal faster growth. And that's what they're tended to seek. But in fact, higher prices, A, give you feedback about whether you've actually built something that has a moat to it or not, which is an interesting question. But maybe even more importantly, generates money that you can then use to hire better people that you can use to make the product better faster. So you can invest more in R&D, you can invest more in sales and marketing. And maybe perhaps counterintuitively, he says that higher prices equals faster growth. And this is something I've been thinking about in the context of tuple lately, which is I think the sort of meta tuple strategy is to charge a lot for tuple and use it to hire fairly ridiculously expensive people and use that to keep our team size small and really effective to keep making the product better at a really fast pace and continue to be the best option that is worth that price premium. Right. Yep. That checks out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've been doing. I'm following. So. I'm following. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I, I think that's the like, I think there's probably a lot of loops that work for this. Uh, yeah. But that is the one that I'm, I'm interested in spinning. There's a magic spot. I mean, that's what's so hard about starting something new, right? Is like in the early days, you're, you're just the value is not necessarily there yet as you're like incrementally making the product more valuable, but you kind of need, you want to be able to start with, you know, high prices. You want to sell the Tesla Roadster first and like, you know, <laughs> and pull, you know, pull in the revenue to support further expansion. But then it's like, you know, you, it takes a while to get there. And I think probably a lot of us like fail to, uh, to capitalize on the value that we've added to the product. Um, that's probably where the, where the general wisdom about, you know, charging more is kind of rooted in, right? It's like most of us are kind of underpricing based on how much we've expanded our products since, you know, when maybe we set our prices um, pre-launch, you know? Right. Totally. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I was talking to Hugo when we were talking about deadlines and I was saying there's that, that sort of famous fast, good or cheap pick two. And my uh, kind of flippant response to this is I choose fast and good and we hire really expensive people who are not cheap who can make that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that is, that's like the expectation and we're happy to pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. I same. I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of team I want to build. I'm not, you know, I, I just think it's, it's fun working with high caliber people. It's just a, it's a nicer experience to, you know, as opposed to like trying to go really cost budget conscious and get really scrappy with that, which is a strategy for sure, but just not, not one that I'm particularly, uh, you know, jazzed about. I like, yep. yeah, I like that alternative. Cool. So, well, and yeah. more on, more on that next time, probably. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Have some, have some thought, more thoughts on that. Excellent. Cool. The art of pricing. The art of pricing. <laughs> nice. All right. You want to wrap it? Let's wrap it. Notes of the show. Notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Bye.